It's the most iconic franchise in the history of video games, but does the latest big screen installment live up to the hype? Let's find out together because the Nerd Bywords Mario Party starts now. Welcome into episode 148 of the Nerd Byword, the only nerd podcast that actually likes mushrooms. In fact, we love them. On today's Byword Big Talk, we'll be reviewing the new Super Mario Bros. movie. But first, it's the trailer we've all been waiting for in today's... Nerd News! Take it away, Dave. Yeah, so uh, big news... Great news if you're a big nerdy Marvel fan like myself, uh, especially when it comes to some of the awesome ladies in Marvel, in that we finally got a The Marvels teaser trailer. Now, The Marvels, of course, is uh, the sequel to Captain Marvel starring Brie Larson as uh, uh, Carol Danvers' Captain Marvel. But in this case, uh, instead of giving the Captain Marvel 2, we're actually getting a team-up movie of sorts uh, with... uh, you know, Carol Danvers teaming up with Miss Marvel, Kamala Khan, as well as the beloved of Chris over here, uh, Monica Rambeau as Photon. So uh, I'm actually really, really psyched uh, for this for a number of reasons. Uh, for one, uh, you know, obviously I'm a huge Kamala Khan fan. I've read every single one of her comic book appearances. Um, she is uh, one of my all-time favorite characters and easily tops my list of favorite uh, newer characters created in the last, you know, few years and so seeing uh, this adaptation uh, on Disney plus in, in the form of a TV show was already really cool and now seeing her bounce off of Carol Danvers I'm really looking forward to um, since you know they have a lot of really interesting interactions in the comic books anyways um, I also am one of the people who really actually enjoyed the Captain Marvel movie I had no uh, major issues with that like so many others did it's not a flawless movie by any stretch but I thought it was very good and really entertaining. Uh, and I'm a big fan of uh, Carol Danvers in particular, uh, some of her more recent portrayals since she's moved on from uh, the Miss Marvel moniker to Captain Marvel. There've been uh, several really good runs on the character in the comic books. So overall, I'm just like target audience for this, I guess. And so seeing the trailer and seeing the interactions between Monica Rambeau and Carol Danvers and, and Kamala Khan was very interesting. There seems to be a, a good sense of humor in this one i think that uh kamala kind of lends herself to a um a better approach to humor than most marvel projects throw at you that kind of fangirl thing that she has going on is a little um i don't know it, it feels a little more natural to the character rather than every single marvel character becoming a quip machine um so i it, it all feel you know, it feels really natural as far as the trailer is concerned i'm really really hyped for this movie now seeing the trailer it's it's you know definitely increased um my anticipation of it and i'm just really really psyched i wish they would have not delayed this sucker um because you know, now, now that I've seen the trailer, I really, you know, I want and I have to wait longer than we were initially supposed to. Uh, Chris, what was your take on seeing this trailer? Yeah, I'm super excited for it. I was already, um, you know, excited because, you know, I, I love I love Monica and I'm, I'm glad to see her represented on the big screen. It's just this kind of unsung character that is, is finally getting the love that she deserves. And, you know, Kamala has, you know, been 
you know, fast and furious and new characters that I've fallen in love with. Um, and, and I've had, uh, uh, an up and down, uh, um, relationship with Carol in the comics. Um, but I love Brie Larson as a person, what she stands for and kind of standing up to like the idiots online. And then I think she's just masterful in this role and this portrayal. She's super fun with it. Um, so I'm very excited about this. Very, very intrigued. Um, I'm, I'm very fascinated with like the whole plot, like the whole gist of this. And, you know, when they use their powers, they switch places and how they're going to, um, you know, figure that out, get to the bottom of that. Who's the big bad going to be um, there? I know like one of the, the go-to things, like one of the hip things to do right now is criticize uh the cgi or the vfx in these movies but i mean oh my god like it looks so great there is that one sequence in the trailer where they're all three fighting against each other and switching back and forth in between every time they use their powers just looks magnificent so yeah i'm with you i'm just ready to see this yeah, it's really, really exciting stuff. Um, and, and, you know, I think it has the potential to be one of the better entries in in the MCU in, in recent years. So I'm, I'm here for this. Um, now, Chris, y- your new story could have almost been an episode itself. Uh, so we'll we'll try to, uh, to do this justice while not getting bogged down for the next 45 minutes. But uh, what have you got? <laughs> so Star Wars Celebration took place last weekend. Uh, we took we took a break for the Easter holiday uh, at the time of this recording. Um, and it did not disappoint in in terms of big time reveals. There's a lot to cover here, so I'm going to try and fast track all the hits here. Um, as you said, uh, uh, first and foremost, Daisy Ridley is returning as Rey in a film set 15 years after the events of Episode Nine, and is going to depict Rey attempting to rebuild the Jedi Order with her own Jedi Academy. The film is set to be directed by Ms. Marvel's Charmaine Obaid Chinoy. Uh, James Mangold, who directed Logan and is directing the upcoming Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny, is going to direct a film about the first ever Jedi to wield the Force. Jedi Master Dave Filoni is going to make the uh, jump to the big screen to uh, big screen to direct a feature film uh, that is rumored to tie up the Mandalorian connected storylines, all those Disney Plus series. Um, here's the big one for me and probably for you, Dave. The trailer for Ahsoka was revealed and set the internet ablaze. In addition to fan favorite, and by fan favorite, I mean my favorite, Rebels characters, Chopper, Hera, Sabine, and Ezra, a brief glimpse, albeit, making their first appearances in live action. Grand Admiral Thrawn himself is set to return, well, in Ahsoka's own words in the trailer, as heir to the Empire. It was then confirmed that voice actor Lars Mikkelsen, brother of Mads, uh, will return to portray the character in live action. Uh, And then the last big one that I wanted to cover is showrunner Leslie Headland and the cast of the upcoming series The Acolyte made the rounds at Celebration with Headland dropping the tease that this show is going to be Frozen meets Kill Bill. The series is set in the High Republic era and features an incredible cast, including Amanda Stenberg, Lee Jung-jae, Manny Jacinto, Daphne Keene, uh, Charlie Barnett, Jody Turner-Smith, Rebecca Henderson, Dean Charles Chapman, and Junis Suatomo. Suatomo, who previously portrayed Chewbacca, is set to portray Kelnaka, the first ever Wookiee Jedi. <clears throat> there was a lot more that was revealed as well. Skeleton crew looks like a super fun Goonies-style 
film set in in the Star Wars universe. That looks really fun. I'm super excited about Jedi Survivor uh, upcoming release. Um, I'm, I'm going to try and avoid paying full price, but I don't know. I might get hooked in anyway. Uh, but it's a great time to be a Star Wars fan, Dave. Yeah, I mean, you know, uh, we we do not lack for content. Uh, you know, the question always becomes, you know, are they going to write the ship, af- especially on the big screen after the critical uh, and fan, you know, beating that they took with the most recent trilogy, particularly uh, Rise of Skywalker, which I think we can all agree was not a very good movie. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, you know, there's, as you said, there's a lot to unpack here. Uh, I'm going to try to shoot some gut reactions out, you know, generally speaking. Uh, Daisy Ridley returning for another Star Wars movie is a really pleasant surprise. Um, I don't think there's anything wrong with Rey as a character, even though uh, she was not necessarily always used in the best way. I think Daisy Ridley is an incredible actress and I hope that they really give her some meaty stuff to chew on this time as far as, you know, her character arc and the like, because, you know, it was not, it, it was not quite up to snuff um, in, in that sequel trilogy, but I really like the Ray character and I think there's stuff to do, you know, with that character. I think it's sad in a way that we're getting a Jedi Academy movie, um, you know, rebuilding the order, you know, with Ray instead of actually seeing, you know, how how Luke tried to build his, even though it ended in failure. Uh, maybe that's just the expanded universe kid talking in me again. But uh, that was sort of a big plot point in the later expanded universe, how to re, you know rebuild the Jedi Order, um, and it, there's some really cool storytelling that came out of that. Um, wonder if they're going to adapt any of that stuff um, for uh, for Ray's movie in particular. Um, there's uh, Kevin J. Anderson's uh, trilogy of books that focused on a uh, a rebuilt Jedi Order under Luke, of course, um, and that they they rebuild on this planet that happened to have have a very strong um, dark force, dark side presence, and there was like this the the Force ghost of like this ancient Sith hanging out and was trying to corrupt Luke's students, and it was it was some good stuff in there. Um, not flawless, but nothing in the expanded universe truly was. But you know, maybe maybe they'll use some of that as a jumping off point. Who knows? Um, the heir to the empire thing is 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 weird for me. On the one hand, I'm really excited that they dropped that, that we got you know Thrawn full blown as a bad guy. All of that looks really interesting, and I really feel like this you know Dave Filoni big screen all the threads of the TV shows coming together thing is going to end up being called Star Wars Heir to the Empire. I think that's what they're going to do. They're going to try to rope in some of the um, the old Star Wars fans, try to win them back with that. Um, but I don't think, given the trajectory of how they have, you know, changed the Star Wars landscape since Disney has, you know, purchased the, the property, that this is necessarily going to be very close to, you know, the actual Heir to the Empire uh trilogy of books um and i don't know how much like even how, how big of a role they'll even have luke playing something like that considering we're, we're firmly in uncanny valley luke territory at this point um so it's it's going to be different for sure um doesn't mean it's not necessarily going to be good but uh you know i, I think there's something a little disingenuous and coming out of the gate and, and dropping the air to the empire stuff um, and not not really planning on leaning into some of those things, particularly uh, your favorite character and mine, Mara Jade, which really you know belongs in that story. Something fierce. Um, 
you know, other than that, yeah, everything's just kind of there, you know, like I don't know much about the Acolyte yet. I'm kind of kicking back and waiting. Uh, a lot of these projects, I'm just taking a wait and see approach right now. I feel like I've gotten hyped for a lot of Star Wars and kind of gotten burned in recent years a little bit. So I'm a little more cautious with my optimism and my excitement. I have hope that a lot of this stuff is going to be really good. I'm especially psyched for the Ahsoka series after seeing the trailer. I think, um, I think that has great potential to be really, really good. And seeing a lot of these Rebels characters in live action is exciting. I mean, I've only watched, you know, a few episodes of the first season. I know I need to get caught up with that. But the characters in that show generally are just really interesting and likable. So um, seeing that translated to uh, live action is very, very interesting. So overall, I would say uh, Star Wars Celebration had some really, you know, good news across the board. But I am just a really cautious fan these days. So I'm taking a wait and see approach. You, how how caught up are you on Mando? Have you watched any of season three yet? None. Okay. Yeah. Um. I'm just gonna leave it at that. I think. I think. Um. Luke is the only kind of missing piece to this, unless they're going to be willing to recast, which is your sentiment and mine, I believe. Yes. Absolutely. It's it's just a no brainer at this point. But everything with Mando season three points in that direction as well and luke is the only oh well i guess if you're including you know the big three again you'd have to recast but um also all signs are pointing towards this kind of being an an heir to the empire adaptation but i think we're going to get a very different main cast i think we might you might have luke in some kind of supporting role if they want to pull the uncanny valley thing but they have shown especially since they did the Han Solo recast. I think they have shown a real, and that didn't work quite as well as they'd hoped, they have shown a real hesitancy to go there. Um, and I don't think there was anything necessarily wrong with the uh, casting of Alden Ehrenreich. I think he he did fine as a younger Han Solo. I wouldn't even mind him coming back. I uh, loved uh, that movie. I loved I, you know, that movie. I liked it a lot more than most people. You know, I don't know. I, there, there was obviously some silly stuff in there, like how he got the name Solo and stuff like that. But I think the overall trajectory of that movie was really fun. And I, ha- I had a good time with that. I liked it sure a lot better than, than Rise of Skywalker. Um, so I, I wouldn't mind him coming back and them kind of rounding out the, the original three and at least having a recasted versions of them in supporting roles in this. But I get the vibe that the main the main cast of this is going to be directly influenced by the, the, the success of the TV shows. So I think you're going to see probably, you're going to probably see Ahsoka as a main character. You're probably going to see Mando as a main character. You're probably going to see Boba Fett popping up as a main character. I think these are the people it's going to focus a lot more on than than what the, the quote unquote big three of the original trilogy. So uh, we'll see if they pull it off. Yeah, the, I do, I do want to say that they have had Timothy Zahn uh, directly like as a creative influence. They mentioned that at Celebration as well. So <clears throat> if they do, you know, kind of have like a morphed version, an evolved version of the story, at least you know Zahn is there as as part of one of at least consulted i should say well i just I, I keep hoping we get some mara jade out of all of this you know <laughs> well there was an, an unnamed character um that was that was in the trailer that a lot of people were speculating as mara jade but they came out and revealed some other name so um we keep hoping against hope us old fans i guess <laughs> All right, that wraps up nerd news for this week. When we come back from our first break, we're going to be reviewing the new Super Mario Brothers movie. (music) 
Welcome back. We are here for the meat and potatoes segment of this episode. You know it as our byword. And it's the surprise, not so surprise, box office smash hit of the spring 2023, the Super Mario Brothers movie. Um, so, as with every movie or film or series or comic review, we each have three likes and three dislikes, and then we'll give it an overall grade after that, being the teachers that we are. Dave, what was your first like about this movie? Okay, so this is uh, you know go, going to go against the grain of a lot of people on uh, on social media, but I'm just going to go there and say that I think the voice acting was 90% flawless for this movie. It was really, really good. It was a really good adaptation of these characters. Um, I know there was especially uh, a lot of internet hate lobbed at Chris Pratt. Um, for taking on the role of Mario, with a lot of people wanting, uh, you know, uh, original uh, voice actor Charles Martinet to actually uh, portray uh, Mario in the movie, and I understand and even support that sentiment to a certain extent with the uh, with the proviso that I really do think um, that this sort of sing-song, high-pitched Mario voice works best in small doses. So Martinet probably would have had to do something a little different. And he's a very able voice actor. I have no no doubt that he could have pulled that off. But given that they decided not to do this, what we got was really, really good. So Chris Pratt was really uh, not just sounding like himself in this movie. Uh, to me, as a, a very old school sort of Mario fan, his voice was a bit reminiscent of like the old Super Mario Brothers Super Show cartoon that aired like, was it like what, the late 80s, early 90s or whatever? You know, that had those that had those live action segments with Captain New Albano as, as Mario. Um, that 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 voice of those cartoons that kind of seems to be what the starting point was for the character, and I think given that it worked really really well, it it felt really like you know a short dude from Brooklyn in a lot of ways. You know, he didn't he didn't lean too too far into the whole Brooklyn thing, but it was like there's like an undercurrent. Uh, so I thought Mario was vo- voiced very well, and I was I was pleasantly surprised because I did not have high hopes. Um, Charlie Day as Luigi was really good. I wish there would have been a little bit more of the character. I'm a big Luigi fan, but uh, but what was there was was absolutely solid. Um, Anna Taylor Joy's Princess Peach is just like perfect. Like there there was nothing wrong here. Um, I think the standout to me was easily Jack Black as Bowser. Has there ever been a better better voice casting like ever? Like he was just flawless as Bowser. It does not get better. I uh, the scene where he is sitting on the piano trying to sing like a love ballad to Peach. I I laughed so hard I was afraid I was going to wake up my toddler. Like I just I I about lost it. It was so good. Um, and the thing that that kind of surprised me. I didn't yeah I didn't know really what to make of of this casting, but I really liked Keegan Michael Key as Toad. Like oh yeah. Oh, he yeah. did not. He did not sound like himself at all. Like he did some really solid voice acting there. He kind of sounded like Toad, but like with with his own spin on it, um, and really, really worked in in the context of this movie. I'll, I have a, I have a couple of uh, voice acting nitpicks. I'll get to that in the dislikes, but I have to say, just overall, I'm super, super pleased with how the voice acting turned out for this movie. This could have gone really, really bad, uh, but it didn't. And and that probably is 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 the most pleasant surprise I had watching this movie. 
Yeah, I was pleasantly surprised as well. I mean, I think it's almost it's it's just a meme at this point. And I know a lot of people want to jump and defend Chris Pratt at this point, but I think it's just like it's just like an inside joke at this point. Um <clears throat> but I think it's Jack Black's world and we're just living in it. Honestly, because uh, also tell me you're not on TikTok without telling me, Dave, because that that song, he released the full version of the Peaches song and it's everywhere. Um, yeah, me and TikTok have absolutely no relationship like none. <laughs> yeah, um, I think I think you're going to get more on this, but I, I loved I loved everything about Anya Taylor-Joy as, as Princess Peach. Um and the and the ones that you don't like, I think I'm I'm gonna surprisingly defend here, here later on. But I did think it was really cool that they included Charles Martinet as as Mario's dad and as uh, I think the character's name was Giuseppe. He did yes. like the woohoo yeah. and, and stuff. Um, I saw an interview with Keegan Michael Key on how he developed the Toad voice, and it was just incredible. Uh, but yeah. I, I, I was really and you've got like some veteran voice actors that were in this movie that when you pull up IMDb, like, oh, yeah, that makes so much sense. You got Kevin Michael Richardson. You've got Eric Bauza, Carlos, uh, Alice Rocky, like some real vets in the field. And, and I was really, really happy with the, with the end result. Yeah, yeah, it, it's, it absolutely worked. Mostly. All right, Chris, what is your first like of the movie? I love that this fully embraces the source material. Um, I, I don't know if it goes full to the level of like how Spider-Verse into the Spider-Verse was like a comic book on the big screen and like, but it felt like that. It's almost to that level. Maybe I'll rewatch it and then I'll, I'll give like a definitive answer. But this felt like a, a video game, like even <clears throat> that first scene where they're running through the streets of Brooklyn and Mario's jumping around like a video game level. Um I love the attention to detail. Like you're going to touch on the score a little bit, but like how the music was intertwined and how it played effect and the, just the, the most minute thing, like when, when uh, Luigi defeats one of the dry bones is, and he's like celebrating. And then all of a sudden it comes back to life. I'm like, Oh, you could tell that this was like a love letter to the entire Mario franchise and like they get it. So the creative team behind this, the directors, producers, everybody like loves Super Mario Brothers and it was evident in this because it felt like a video game come to life. Some of the camera angles um you know as you're following the characters it felt like you were playing like a virtual reality Mario game in a lot of sense and it's it's almost like um uh you know, like I felt like when Super Mario Galaxy came out on the Wii and it was just like a completely more immersive experience. I know a lot of people had this with Mario 64, but I never had a 64. But this is kind of how I felt with playing uh, Super Mario Galaxy. Yeah, I think that's absolutely fair. Um, it's very, very rare to to see a sort of this, this close embrace of the source material in adaptations. But my God, they went whole hog. That whole like training sequence uh, where yeah. um, Mario could just continuously fails over and over again to try to make it to this obstacle course felt exactly the way most kids felt playing Mario for the first time. I remember it's like it's the singular most classic Game Boy moment is the Super Mario Land when you you know the game first starts and you encounter the first enemy and the first time you play that game you invariably die on the first enemy every time because your jump is not <laughs> precise and you're still trying to get a hold of the physics and it just it happens every single time somebody picks that game up for the first time instant death 
on the first enemy. And it's just like, yeah, that's that's exactly how these games feel. It's a it's a lot of trial and error, you know, kind of trying to find your way, especially some of the older, more difficult games, right? So yeah, absolutely. I think this this fully embraced the feel uh, of these um, uh, of these video games in more ways than one. And I'll get a little bit more into that with some of my other likes. I think. Yeah, the one that triggered my four year old PTSD uh, was when he was getting chased by the bomb, and and that's the first level that I ever played on a Super Mario. Oh God, what was the Super Nintendo one? The Super Mario Brothers World. Super Mario World. Super Mario World. Uh, that's the one where you're like. <clears throat> that that level where you're like going down into the little divots to hide out from the bomb that's chasing you the entire time. Yeah, that's that that triggered some stuff for me. All right, I hinted at it a little bit, but I don't want to steal your thunder. So go whole hog, as you would say, into this one, Dave. All right, so the next like is the music, um, uh, specifically the score. I, I have some other stuff to say about some of the music and my dislikes, but the score of this movie was tremendous. One of the things that you you know come to realize as a sort of a, a lifelong Nintendo fan. I mean, my love affair with Nintendo stuff started like when I was maybe six or seven years old, right? And so I, I have, you know, followed the Mario franchise and adjacent franchises, you know, like the Zelda franchise, Donkey Kong, that stuff for, for you know, the better part of, of you know, 30 plus years or so. Um, and so th- there is a tremendous, tremendous amount of work that goes into the music of these games. Um, and and there are so many classic tracks and tunes that came out of various Nintendo games that are you know so ingrained in people uh, of of my generation. They're instantly recognizable, even with just a few notes. And what this score did that I thought was absolutely fantastic is how many of these these Mario and Mario adjacent musical cues they were able to string together into a cohesive score that. Although it is fan servicey, I guess it never felt fan servicey. Like all the music fit in the moments; it had a natural flow to it. It worked from from start to finish. Um, I, I especially had to get a huge kick out of the the DK rap when Donkey Kong first, like you know, comes out of the gate there to have his his fight with with Mario. Big upset, by the way, uh, when I heard that the composer of the of the DK rap did not actually get credit. Uh, in the movie, uh, in the end credits, I think that is a that is an absolute travesty, <laughs> especially considering how much crap he has gotten over the years for the DK rap. It's been called the worst rap ever written. Um, but the fact that they were even like incorporating the the DK rap from Donkey Kong sixty four into this, it it just shows a real um, like somebody did their research and somebody you know developed a real love for the music of, of Nintendo games. Um, you know, there's a reason that you have like. Uh, you know, an orchestra popping up in Japan every so often and like, you know, doing full concerts, you know, uh, orchestral arrangements of like Mario tunes and Zelda tunes. Uh, I have somewhere like a a Zelda orchestral CD flying around uh, just because the music is so tremendous in in, in these, you know, uh, in these Nintendo games. And so the score had me going from start to finish. I adore the score to this movie enough that I might actually have to pick it up and just, you know, slap it on my phone to listen to yeah, it was it was masterful. And and then another note, like I love how and, and this kind of ties back into the source material like that I previously made is I love how they kind of like integrated like 
the most famous Nintendo games. Like you referenced it there. Like that was like the, the smash brothers segment where like they had to fight each other and it had like the different levels, the, the, the different ledges on the level and like how they bounce back and forth. I was like, Oh, they're playing smash brothers now. And then you had like the Mario Kart segment. And so you had rain, you, you had rainbow freaking road. I mean, come on. And then, you know, just the, the fact that, almost like the score was there as like your little companion throughout the entire journey of the movie. It was just, it was pitch perfect. And you can't talk about the music without talking about that, that darn Mario rap from the old super Mario brothers, super show being used in, uh, in, in the plumbing commercial at the beginning of the movie, like that, that took me back. I felt like I was like eight years old again or something, just hearing that again. Um, and it was, it was just very, very well put together. Like that whole commercial was absolutely hilarious. They even like threw a whole bunch of references in there, like with the cape from Super Mario World and how, how you know, they, they kind of made it look like they were flying. Like that, that, that the music just even, uh, I guess it, how willing it is to, to reference the past and incorporate it into the overall story and feel of the movie was just really flawless. All right, Chris, that brings us to your next like of the movie. And I have to say, I want to wholeheartedly echo this right off the bat. Yeah, it's a visual masterpiece. Like, it just looks so good. The animation is top notch. Like, it's really immersive. Like, it it feels like you're in the Mushroom Kingdom or Bowser's Castle or whatever. Like, it's just just really great. Um, And then there's not a whole lot that I could say about this. It just... It's they really, really did a great job on bringing this to life. We talk we talk a lot about like, uh, you know, tendencies of, uh, you know, um, uh, modern Hollywood to go for like very odd, like uh, super washed out, you know, uh, muted tones and colors, a general shying away from like bright and colorful. I love that in animation. That's like the one. Um, the one holdout where things can go like super bright and colorful and it absolutely just there's no hesitation to do that because that's exactly what this movie needed it needed to be super bright super colorful Uh, visually it's just absolutely gorgeous Um, I absolutely love the facial expressions uh, on some of the characters as well there's a really good moment uh, towards the beginning of the movie when Mario um, meets Peach and they're talking about Bowser and, you know, like the way Peach's face works when she's like, oh, he's a psycho. <laughs> like the, yeah. the, the whole facial expression on her is he's a super expressive face. Absolutely love that. So, yeah, visually speaking, um, you know, you, this is zero complaints. It was a very, very beautifully animated movie. All right, Dave, your next like is absolutely something that I, I wholeheartedly was cheering for and I can't wait to talk about. Yeah, it's really weird because, you know, uh, Nintendo is just so weird when it comes to, like, uh, character relationships. Like, we've gone through, like, eight trillion versions of Link and Zelda, and and almost never do they come out and straight up say, you know, these characters might be in love or something, right? Um, And although uh, some of the games have established that Bowser is after you know, Peach, uh, not just to take over her kingdom, but also like to to claim the princess, so to speak. Um, You know, they're always really weird and coy about like the relationship between Mario and Peach. Like, is this something romantic? Is it just a close friendship? Like she, at the beginning of Mario 64, she invites him over for a cake she baked for him. And I'm like, okay, this this could be interpreted any number of ways, right? Um, And I really like that sort of flirtatious relationship those two develop in this movie. Um, 
like when she first meets him, she's poking fun of him for being like really short, you know, which I, which I thought was hilarious. But then as the movie progresses, like that that mutual respect, the fact that he you know refuses to give up and keeps pushing, um, how he offers to buy her a turtle if she ever visits Brooklyn, you know, because the turtles are not evil in his world. Like that 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 fun banter between those two characters, I really enjoyed, you know, um, and I really hope that if if we get a sequel of this, that they kind of pull on that string you know, a little more because shockingly, it, okay, let me put it this way. There is something that you're going to say in your dislikes that I 100% agree with, but a side effect of that action was that we got a lot of time one-on-one, so to speak, with Mario and Peach. And I think the movie benefited from from that tremendously. Um, I really just enjoyed the way those two characters bounced off of each other. You know, when you're playing the video game, sometimes you just don't quite see it, you know? What does the what does the, the the princess of a kingdom see in this you know in this short fat plumber from Brooklyn, and and why does he constantly have to go run off and, and and try to rescue her in the video games? Like what what's what's the thing there you know? And now whether they lean into like romantic or whether they lean into friendship, it doesn't really matter. You just kind of see that these these two characters just like each other, you know. And I, and I think that that was a very very needed part of of this movie was to, to kind of flesh out and hammer out the relationship between Mario and Peach a little bit. Um, I like that. I like that a lot. See, I, I went a completely different angle for why I enjoyed it. I like that it kind of, I don't know if it was a bait and switch per se, but I, I like that they gave Peach a lot more agency than the video games usually do. And she was kind of like, um, she was the tutor and, and they kind of flipped the roles here. She was showing him the ropes of like how things work in her world um and that you know she was saving herself a good deal and and so it was it was really interesting how how they kind of flipped the roles there and it wasn't just straight damsel in distress like yes bowser was still trying to marry her against her will and what have you but it wasn't like completely helpless peach um and, and I thought it was really fascinating way. And I, I also look forward to watching that relationship develop. You know, it, it's funny because on the one hand, we can critique Nintendo a lot for constantly going back to the well of Mario, the man has to go rescue Peach, the, you know, the, the, the helpless lady. But I think a lot of people forget that Peach ended up quite frequently with a fair bit of agency, even in the past. I mean, as... As early as the uh, U.S. version of Super Mario Brothers 2, she was a playable character that was right there in the action with Mario, Luigi, and Toad, right? So there is actually a fairly long history of Peach having agency. It's just that Nintendo keeps kind of, every time that they take that step, they default back to, you know, go rescue the princess. And I think... I think if if Nintendo were to lean into that a little bit, they would see a tremendous fan response. I think the same problem applies a lot to the Legend of Zelda franchise, to kind of go off on a tangent for a quick second. It is absolutely ridiculous how long uh, fans have asked Nintendo for a Zelda game where Zelda herself is playable. Like, it's, it's, it's the never-ending, would you just please give us a game where we can play a Zelda or Link, like, or, or maybe you switch back and forth over the course of a story. Just give us a chance to play a Zelda. And Nintendo is not really obliged with that, not in a mainline Zelda game. You know, there was, there were some of those God awful Philips CDI games, um, that had Zelda playable. And I think like those, um, 
Hyrule Warriors games, which are not Nintendo, uh, you know, made, you know, have, they have, have all the Zelda characters as playable. But like a straight up mainline Legend of Zelda game that lets you play as Zelda has just not materialized yet. Um, they're they're a little behind the times with that sometimes. So yeah, I too really like that Peach had a lot more agency in this. Um, it worked. It worked really really well, and it makes logical sense too because this is her kingdom. You know, like she knows the place and the rules and how everything works. And Mario, some dude from Brooklyn who has no idea what's going on, right? So he does need that character that shows him the ropes, and and who better than Peach? So it it, it all makes logical sense from the story. I really really like that too. All right, Chris, your final like of the movie. I love that, like, the future possibilities for this franchise are endless. Like, we could easily have spinoffs, sequels, and it's... And I know that in the current state of entertainment that we're in, some there might be some fatigue on connected universes, but I don't think, I don't think that would be the case with this. It just feels like... There's so much more story that could possibly be told. We could have a Donkey Kong spinoff. We could have a Luigi's Mansion spinoff. Um, we could, you know, have, of course, a, a direct sequel to this. Um, we could have all of Bowser's kids introduced still. We've still got Wario and Waluigi. Uh, there are already people are clamoring for Pedro Pascal and, and Oscar Isaac to play those two characters. So... I, I'm just very excited for the future of this franchise on the big screen. So, you know, a uh, another really a spinoff I'm hoping for here is a Luigi's Mansion spinoff, for example. I really am a big fan of those, you know, games. Uh, you know, kind of Mario with a horror tinge is really cool anyways. And we already got a vibe for that in that whole scene in the beginning when Luigi is stranded in Bowser's kingdom, right? And he's trying to run away from all those dry bones. Uh, I think that's absolutely a direction a franchise could go and and you know you know having a the franchise uh, a movie in the franchise hanging on on charlie day's luigi would actually be a really smart move so i'm i'm thoroughly rooting for luigi's mansion movie all right that wraps up our likes as now we transition into the dislikes uh dave you you never cease to surprise me because the resident 80s baby that you are this one popping up as your first dislike was a big surprise i'm tired of movies going full shrek on me every other every other movie i watch like who demanded that every animated movie needs to feature pop you know music if i could watch a montage in a movie without i need a hero playing over it just one time (laughs) i think i would be i would be a much happier person um look when you have a score that is as solid uh, as the one that this movie has every time that the pop music started i think there was three or four different songs there uh, it took me out of the movie instantly like why do you not let the score do the work did we really need uh th- that hero song again thunderstruck like, we didn't need that either like we didn't need any of that stuff you know so i really did not like the integration of pop music in this movie let the score stand on its own you know what i mean what was the other one take on me i think yeah take on me take on me uh yeah uh yeah um i was i was fine with it Uh, maybe i've become what's those febreze commercials nose blind where like i'm just so used to it at this point i didn't even notice it being integrated um but yeah i i totally agree with what you say about the score being that strong we should have just let it stand on its own merits all right so what was your first dislike of the movie chris 
Well, we hinted at it a little bit um, before, but Luigi was sidelined for too long. Um, and I know that the Mario and Peach relationship kind of blossomed as a result of that, but I could, I still could have used, um, you know, some more scenes with Luigi and that uh, depressing star, um, the death of the sweet release star. Um even just to establish something like Luigi's Mansion that we that we referenced previously, but I'm I'm always a Luigi defender. I main Luigi. He's one of my first picks, so I'm always going to root for Luigi. And I needed more of my guy. Maybe we should have called this podcast the Two Luigis because I'm the same way. <laughs> Particularly in Mario Kart, I always default over to Luigi for some reason. Uh, maybe it's that stink guy that he throws uh, at people in certain games, but. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, uh, you know, I, I, I wholeheartedly agree. And I think actually that the brother relationship in this movie was really, really well portrayed. Um, it was one of the stronger elements of the movie for sure. And I think it would have been nice to have not just more Luigi in general, but more time with the two together. I'm hoping that if they, um, you know, make a sequel that we get a full on, you know, Super Mario Brothers movie where it's actually the two brothers working together. I think that would be a lot of fun. Yeah, I don't know what this trend is. We talk about this all too often with Star Wars, with everything, separating the two main characters that were supposed to buy their relationship. I don't understand that trend. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Dave, your uh, second dislike, I'm going to... I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna hear you out. I'm gonna hear you out. Well, you know, again, I've I've been this you know Nintendo fanboy for most of my life, and so for some reason, the the Cranky Kong and Donkey Kong uh, voice acting in particular didn't work for me at all. I'm a big fan of Fred Armisen. I think he's he's you know fantastic in the right roles, but I don't know what choice he made here with Cranky Kong, but it didn't really feel like cranky kong at all from you know the way the the character's been depicted in in the games you know for the most part all the characters rang true to who they are in this movie um but cranky just felt really off to me um i almost feel feel like uh armison kind of made some choices there and a director should have said yeah i don't know if this is working can we have another take on the character um and nobody did um, as far as Donkey Kong goes, I really liked the animosity between him and Mario. It harkens back to the fact that, you know, Mario was sort of the, the protagonist of the, of the, you know, first Donkey Kong game, the arcade game. Um, my problem was not so much with the way the character was written, but much more with, with the voice acting because, you know, Seth Rogen's gonna Seth Rogen. And in this particular case, I didn't hear Donkey Kong. I heard Seth Rogen. Um, and so given the huge backlash that Chris Pratt had gotten in the lead up to this movie about how he's just using his regular speaking voice, it was a pleasant surprise that he wasn't and he was actually doing some voice acting. Um, and then really that particular complaint, I think, belongs solely at the feet of Seth Rogen in this movie, who literally is just Seth Rogen. See, I, I see where you're coming from, but like, I don't know. I don't know what it is. Maybe the Seth Rogen just feels like an ape to me. <laughs> and like, <laughs> so he feels like a big giant ape. So for some reason, his regular voice, which it admittedly is his regular voice, it, it works for me. Um, the Cranky Kong, I, I give a little bit more credence to. I feel like Fred Armisen is such a talent that we could have gone in a different direction, though. Yeah, yeah, I think I think that absolutely is fair. Anyways, that brings us to your second dislike. Chris, what have you got? Um, so I really over uh, overall just really enjoyed this movie. So it was kind of nitpicking when it came to the, the dislikes. Um, the, the real world elements were among the weakest. Um, like the, it was a really interesting 
kind of um, idea to start with, but they were kind of undercooked, I guess, to borrow one of your phrases. Um, so they didn't really have um, the kind of staying power that they they wanted it to. Um, and this all kind of points together towards your your final dislike, and I think that's the reason why it didn't work. Let's let's go ahead and just like uh, well, let's just go for it. My, yeah. yeah, because I, I I think the two are pretty entangled. Um, I think the movie was way too short. Um, I think it clocked in at like what eighty some minutes. I don't even think it quite hit an hour and a half. Um, and so there were there were things that felt truncated. Uh, the real world stuff is one of the things that got the the short end of the stick to the point where I almost felt like that could have been completely omitted. You know, I think it would have been perfectly fine to have it at the beginning and then not go back to the real world. I think that would have also given them maybe a chance to play around with the idea of like, hey, maybe the bullet bill destroyed the the, the pipe back to the real world and it has to be rebuilt and Mario and Luigi are, are stuck there or something like that, you know. And you already have a built-in potential plot for the second one. Do they actually really want to go home, you know? Um, because... Although the climax with 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 Bowser was really good, that could have taken place anywhere. I don't think it was necessary to have that in the real world. Um, so the real world stuff needed flushing out for sure. And I think the ending did too. I'm going to be straight up with you. Um, I thought there was going to be a little bit more there after they defeated Bowser. All we got was like the alarm clock going off. Mario and Luigi get up, put their outfits on, get their plumbing tools, and the door opens and they're in the Mushroom Kingdom. So I guess they decided to stay there. Um but like nothing, nothing further is explained. And I know they probably didn't want to paint themselves in any kind of corner with a potential sequel or something. But like, are they plumbers in the Mushroom Kingdom now? Like they saved, they saved that kingdom, and now they're gonna like plunge for toads. Um, is is that what we're going with, or are they working for Peach, or? What do toads actually produce when they go on the toilet anyways? Is oh, a question whoa! Like ask. <laughs> if we're gonna have if we're gonna have back the pipes that Mario needs to plunge in the mushroom kingdom, like what what are, what are toad turds actually looking like? Are they like little tiny mushrooms or like like the ending just kind of left me a little cold. I thought I was we we're gonna get a little bit more there of like what Mario and Luigi's status are, like why why did they decide to stay in the Mushroom Kingdom, especially after they were accepted as heroes in the real world, like some something more. And I think a lot of this again goes back to the really short runtime. And I'm not saying we need a two and a half hour magnum opus of of a Mario Brothers animated movie mostly aimed at kids, but I don't see a reason why this one could have not been. 95 minutes or 98 minutes you know a little bit over an hour and a half and give some of this this kind of stuff like the real world and the ending a little bit more room to breathe and then we could have also had maybe a couple of extra luigi scenes in there um which i think would have been benefit to the movie yeah for sure i think i think all that's intertwined and um it just it just left someone i'm I'm sorry i'm just traumatized by by toad turds i can't lost my train of thought (laughs) sorry about that i messed you up for life again Oh, oh, that's what I was going to say. The one scene that I could have done without, I feel like that whole evil dog scene, I feel like I've seen that in way too many movies before. And, and like, so that did nothing for me. Yeah, yeah. At the beginning there, when, when they're doing the plunging and stuff. Yeah, I agree with that. So what was your final dislike? It seems like this one's a real nitpicker. It's a real nitpick, okay? So we're talking about characters that we main on on Mario Kart. I, I, I dabble back and forth between Luigi, a uh, little bit of Link. Um, but my guy Diddy Kong, he's one of my mains. He's one of my mains when I go to Smash Brothers. So this is absolute just me being 
that guy just nitpicking because I had to come up with a third dislike. It's not really a dislike. I just want more Diddy Kong. And so maybe we can have a sequel um, or even a spinoff with the Donkey Kong brothers. It would have been funny to kind of see the the two brothers juxtaposed against the other two brothers. So that would have been fun. I don't know. I just love Diddy Kong. Yeah, I think, you know, again, uh, a function of the short runtime and the fact that the Mario quote-unquote universe is so expansive and large and there's so many characters. Um, I could, I'm, I'm going to say it here. My my prediction for a sequel is that we're going to go to another kingdom and we're going to introduce Daisy. I, I can already I can already sense that. You know, we have, we got one of the princesses. We're going to get the second one in the sequel. I'm, I'm, I'm getting that vibe. Quick love to the fact that we've got full-fledged baby Mario, baby Luigi, and baby Peach. Wasn't that really something? Like, and and the designs were exactly from the those uh, those Yoshi games. I mean, that was about as spot on as it gets. Oh, that's got to be the next part too. We've got to go to Yoshi. Um, I've I've already seen I've already seen like fan casts of like a Smash Brothers type movie and getting Link and Zelda in there. Like, we could. There's so much we could do with this. Absolutely. All right, Dave. Overall grade for this movie. That's an A. I mean, it's just like I felt great. I felt like I was eight years old again. It it pushed all the right buttons. It pushed the nostalgia buttons to a certain extent, absolutely. But it also did a really good job, just you know, representing the Mario franchise as it has existed for you know thirty plus years. It's 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 just a joyous, fun movie. And and even my dislikes, for the most part, are nitpicks. The fact that we got a Mario movie that just works is absolutely incredible to me. It blows my mind. I, <laughs> like. This just worked. Uh, it's awesome. I don't know why it took so long to get a really good Mario movie, but here we are. We finally got it, and I love it, and uh, that's all I got to say about that. Yeah, this is instantly rewatchable for me. I'm also giving it a day. Like, I watched it um, with my kids, and they they thought they had a great time, too. So we, I, I absolutely love this movie, and I can't wait for the future. Um, go watch this movie. All right, that wraps up our Byword Big Talk for this week. Um, but we've got a special bonus, Dave. What's our special bonus? I have to put up with Chris ranting about Buffy the Vampire Slayer Season 2. <laughs> Why do you have to put up with it? Um, oh, man. It's, it's, it's hard, just like with Ayer to the Empire, it's hard to revisit something you loved when you were younger and somebody who doesn't have the same nostalgia goggles kind of taking a dump on it is not always an easy experience. So um, let's go ahead and just dig in. Uh, Chris, you've completed your watch of Buffy Season 2. What is your take on it? Um, plot twist. I'm not taking a dump on it. I love it. What? Uh, the only person I'm taking a dump on is Xander Harris. Cause he's still a piece of crap. He's the worst. Um, <laughs> um, I'm, I'm, so the, the, the particular two, we'll get the problematic stuff out of the way. Um, the, the ones that were really bothersome, um, was Xander being a, a spurned lover and creating, uh, a love potion or excuse me, like a love spell that completely backfired just because he is in his feelings. That was awful. Um, and then the, the one that was really bad um, was uh, the go fish one uh, mm-hmm. special, special appearance by captain cold himself. Wentworth, Wentworth Miller. Um, that one was super gross. Buffy is sexually assaulted and then is blamed for it because of what she's wearing. That one did 
aged incredibly poorly, awful. Some of the writing by you know who is atrocious. But aside from that, like I'm I'm fully booked in. Like I'm here for it. Um, I'm seeing like the procedural type stuff. Um, as a fan of like shows like Monk, like I could I get it with like the cold open. Um, I could see like the whole procedural aspects of it. I see what you were talking about in the previous season with like the big bad of each season. Um, and then for it to be like completely just heartbreaking, the fact that Angel is the big bad. Um, and then, then she ultimately has to kill him. It was truly heart wrenching. Um, I, I do have to say the other element of this that makes it uncomfortable is that, and this is not Buffy per se. This is twilight. This is every iteration of male vampires preying on teenage girls that, I mean, like it's irreparable. You, you can't, you can't separate the two. It's inseparable. So that's difficult. Um, Justice for Kendra, like WTF, how are you yep. going to introduce a character, a character that I love so much, albeit with that terrible accent? That's okay. We forgive her. But then to just kill her off, that, you know, broke my heart. Uh, Jenny broke my heart, losing her in such a gruesome fashion. Um, but the the intertwined, um, the storyline there between her and the Romani people, I'm not going to use the G word. Um, was was fascinating and heartbreaking and um the the dark clouds surrounding giles are are fascinating to watch develop um cordelia i'm the number one cordelia fan now um willow's great she's super cute i love seth green seth green's a legend in the nerd community um so I'm so glad to see him join on. Like I'm, I'm, I'm fully booked. I mean, like there's problematic crap. Yes. But like, I'm, I'm here for it. I've already started season three. I I, th- I think uh, that's actually really good to hear for me. Like I, I fell in love with the show, like from the word go, but I realized, you know, with the half season of season one that, you know, it, and it trying to find its footing, it really started clicking for me in season two. Uh, and so that you find so much to like there, uh, you know, it, it's awesome. Um, I think you are going to like season three a great deal. Um, hurts me a little bit uh, because I think season three is the last high school season. And uh, Buffy starts floundering for a couple of seasons after that, I think, about how to find its its way once the high school uh, growing up metaphor is removed. Um, they do find their footing and do some really cool stuff again. But for me, sort of the season two and three are the glory days for Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Oh, I totally how in my initial rant I totally forgot to include uh Juliet Landau and, and James Marsters joining the cast and just absolutely devouring every scene, particularly Drusilla. Just oh, absolutely incredible. Masterclass of, of acting. Just masterclass. Like all the flowers to her. Because like it is it's it's absolutely great. Um and then the spike, the complicated history, and and some 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 stuff has been spoiled for me a little bit because uh, I Google Google too much, but I'm I'm fascinated to watch. You know, James Marsters is a fantastic actor in his own right. I I, I remember him from the um, the Marvel's Runaways series um, uh, as Victor Stein, and so I'm already a fan of his and his acting chops. And seeing him and Charisma Carpenter kind of do the con circuit on social media is really cool to see as well. But I'm, I'm very excited to see where we go from here. Excellent. All right. When we come back from our final break, we are going to hit you with two more nerd commendations. All right. It's the moment you've been waiting for. 
We recommend the good stuff to you. We call it our... All right, Dave, you are uh, returning to a particular franchise of note. Yeah, uh, I remember uh, a few uh, episodes ago, I spoke about how much I enjoyed Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, the comic book series from Boom Studios, um, which, of course, there were actually you know several um, that sort of got intertwined. You had Mighty, uh, you had Mighty Morphin Power Rangers and Go-Go Power Rangers, and then Go-Go Power Rangers ended, and you got Mighty Morphin Power Rangers split into Mighty Morphin and Power Rangers. And it all led up to issue 100, when the original creative teams took their bow and left um, and kind of put a big bow on their entire run of 100 issues. Um, and, you know, obviously there's some trepidation when you have a major creative shakeup of whether it's still going to, you know, if it's still going to sing the same way with a new creative team. Um, and I've given it, you know, a while. Um uh, a few months before I make my call. And uh, since we're here in Nerd Commendations, uh, I think it's fair to say that it's good. It's real good. Um, so the new creative team is a uh, writer, Melissa Flores, um, and artist, I'm going to butcher her name and I feel awful, Simona D. Gianfelice. Um, uh, I have to say that it's absolutely incredible to me how they managed to like hit the ground running and just keep pushing forward with the exact same tone of of the original 100 issue run it feels of the same cloth um the art is 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 absolutely fantastic the characters are moving in interesting directions nothing from the previous run just gets unceremoniously dropped which is really cool uh they're pulling on several really interesting threads including the new green ranger matt he's got an interesting trajectory uh reinvention of rita repulsa as she acquires some new powers uh just really interesting stuff happening uh with the mighty morph and power rangers characters in this run already um and so i'm here for it the art is good the writing is good uh it feels of a cloth with the previous run so if you uh, read that and liked it there's absolutely no reason to shy away from the current run of mighty morphin power rangers from boom it's firing on all cylinders uh and comes highly nerd commended man this is uh, i've got my work cut out for me when we hit summer vacation um because i have so much stuff that i want to get caught up on reading um and and power ranger comics are one of those things so i'm gonna have to re-up my uh, comiXology subscription because i got through i want to say like the first four or five trades and i absolutely loved it and i just got consumed with time and work and everything so i'm, I'm definitely gonna have to dive back in and get caught up to me, Boom's Power Rangers is to Power Rangers what IDW's uh, TMNT is to Ninja Turtles. Like it's Absol- it's probably absolutely agree. The distillation of the very best that the franchise has to offer, with its own spin and twist on the characters, um, it just it just clicks uh, just top to bottom. I love this one, which which makes that first crossover so magnificent. Um, and there's a second one coming out right now that I need to tap into as well. All right, Chris, so what is your nerd commendation this week? So we have talked Guardians of the Galaxy comics a good deal on this show. I love Al Ewing's run. Uh, We talked about how difficult it can be to kind of get into, um, you know, the cosmic side of Marvel. But this this new Guardians of the Galaxy number one that is being co-written by Jackson Lanzig and Colin Kelly uh, with art by Kev Walker is really interesting. Um, there's a lot of moving parts that are yet to be revealed here. Um, it absolutely leans into the space Western vibe, like religiously. And I really dig that. Um, there's a lot of 
kind of speculation with uh, Grootfall coming as like the big bad. And so I'm, I'm interested to see what's there. You've got Star-Lord, Gamora, Drax, Nebula, and Mantis uh, as like the main roster. So um, it's just the first issue, as the time of recording, just the first issue has been released. But it, I'm very, very intrigued by this. And like I said, the space western vibes, um, they arrive at this desolate planet um, it's it's just really really cool and and kind of kind of a different look from Guardians from what we've had previously and I'm I'm kind of I'm kind of in on this and so I, I highly nerd commend the first issue um, the the space western aesthetic alone is enough to to get you to check it out and I'm excited to see where we go from here. I read this, Chris. I read this as well, so I have an informed opinion this time. Um, <laughs> and, I, and I have to say, I, I'm going to echo your nerd commendation. I really like this. Um, uh, I know I'm going to be referring to he who must not be named, and this is the second time in this episode, given we just talked about Buffy, but there is something very Firefly about this. Um, you know, the space Western thing, um, and, and sort of the, the the good guys that are not necessarily always good guys. You know what I mean? Um so there, there is a, there is a like a, a hint of Firefly here almost to me, um, or maybe that's just because I really like that franchise. But uh, I really like this first issue so far, and I'm very interested to see where it goes. The art really hums, and the writing is just like spot on westerny. Uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm fascinated by this take on Guardians, and I really want to see where it's going. Um, so for first issue, highly recommend it. Absolutely. Well, that wraps up another episode of the Nerd Byword. We thank you so much for joining us. Please be sure to like and subscribe and follow on your favorite podcasting platform, whether that's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, uh, Amazon, or nerdbyword.com. And find us on social media. We are all over the place, and we want to hear what you think of our show. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at nerdbyword, and individually at that nerd Dave and at that nerd Chris. And as always, stay well and stay nerdy, my friends. The Nerd Byword is written and produced by Chris and Dave, two nerds with a love of all things pop culture. The podcast features music by Al Jimenez with additional drops composed by Joe Biondi. Our show art is by Ashery Design. Find us at nerdbyword.com and wherever podcasts are available. Mm-hmm.